So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another amazing panel of guests, and today we're tackling another really tough issue, which is Asian hate. Now, this is something that many of us outside of the Asian community had probably not thought too much about. But when the pandemic hit, putting in some cases a potentially negative light on China, the world saw an eruption of hate and anger towards Asian people that was quite shocking to see, and which has really taken its toll on communities worldwide. So I want to welcome Naomi, Gail, and Sharon, who are going to talk about this with us today, share their experiences and so much more. And I really appreciate them just showing up today because it takes a lot of courage to tackle and talk about some of these topics. So let's get started with some introductions. So can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Sharon, you're going to go first. Okay, my name is Sharon, and uh, I am a inventory optimization consultant. Uh, I do data analysis for inventory, increased profit and cash flow, and that's what I do. I identify myself as global citizen. Okay. I love that. I love that. Is there anything else about yourself that you'd like to share? I love dogs. I love uh, food. I like, you know, relaxed and beautiful things, a comfortable home and content with my life. And that's what I like. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Sharon. Naomi, you are up next. Hi, I'm Naomi. I've been proud to partner with Sarah and Lost Talk Supply Chain for over three years now on the Women in Supply Chain series to champion other women leaders and their achievements across a global industry. In my full-time role, I'm a senior manager for supply chain solutions marketing at Anaplan, a cloud company that accelerates collaboration, agility, productivity, and profitability across the supply chain finance and sales and marketing. And outside of work hours, I row, ride the Peloton, and mentor at-risk teams to find a better path forward, Um, and also spend a lot of quality time with my husband and our two dogs. I identify as she, hers, and hers. Awesome. Awesome. Anything more about your background that you want to share as how you identify? Um, You know, I'm a Jewish American, so I think um, I come from you know, the perspective of being another quote unquote model American uh, model minority in American society. So this topic definitely really resonated for me. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks for being here. Gail, last but absolutely not least, tell us about yourself. So my name is Gail Daikoku. I am uh, a director of influencer marketing at a small software company called SAP, which is where Sarah and I met before. Um, I would uh, describe myself as a Japanese American. Um, you know, to that audience, I'm a sansei, if that means anything to people. We could talk about that more. Um, and there's a lot to unpack in this topic. I, you know, my day job is to work with influencers, building influence, talking about advocacy. But I would say, you know, as a mom to two women at this point in time in history, as a Japanese American, Um, And the climate we live in, um, this is stressful, exciting times to really learn and share and use our voice. Use our voice is the thing I'm saying more and more because this this time, this topic, this is about telling our stories, using our voice. So that's me. Um, My pronouns are 
she, her, and thank you and uh, for inviting me, Sarah. Yes, this is, I love that you just said that. I mean, this is going to be one of those episodes where I think a lot of people are just going to be like, really? Like that's happening? Or, oh my goodness, what can I do to sort of help and sort of mitigate what is going on? And that was, that was definitely my reaction um, when we touched on this topic probably about four episodes of Blended ago. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this to light and really have this conversation today. And so, unfortunately, Asian hate is not new. This current surge is a direct result of the emergence of the pandemic, but there have been other geopolitical links to rises in violence throughout the years. And there was terrible racism towards Japanese people around the Second World War. And I was reading about a case in the 80s involving a Chinese-American man who was beaten to death by two white auto workers who took him for Japanese and blamed Japan for the car industry's struggles. So why do you think this is happening? So, you know, I just mentioned a few different things across the years that has, has contributed to some of this. And obviously the surge over the last couple of years, because, you know, they were saying that the pandemic started in China. So, but why do people do this? What is, can you, maybe, maybe Gail and maybe Sharon, you want to talk a little bit about what is happening right now in your communities? So, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll go first. Um, yeah. This is not new. Um, you know, my, my, I described what my background is and there's a lot more there, but as a son say, my family, both sides of my uh, descendants, uh, were impacted during world war II, which is about 80 years ago. There was this, um, executive order 9066 that basically incarcerated Japanese Americans, their parents who immigrated, my parents who were both born on California soil, lost everything. And, um, and so that was the history, right? Why the climate and where we are now, I think, um, you know, politically, we came out of a certain climate of four years under a certain leader in, in the United States that sort of made it okay. I'm not saying it was, but he it was sort of um, accepted that this behavior, whatever we're going to describe it, whatever we're going to talk about was kind of okay. And I, I you know, it's not the only factor. But, um, you know, it's one of the factors that, um, you know, I guess people around us think, hey, it's okay to be like this. And actually, it's not. But, you know, what it does force is those difficult conversations for those of us who are going to raise up and use our voice and say, no, that's not okay. Let's talk about it. Right. So I think that's another piece of this and something I advocate for, which is, you know, let's all have the conversation, these hard conversations because it's not okay. Um, yeah. So I, I would say that's my quick answer on that. But ladies, what do you think? Sharon. Um, it's absolutely not okay. And uh, I think the reason why things happen like this, one is education. And uh, second is the mindset. I mean, education and mindset, I think is go hand in hand. When you subconscious, subconsciously implanted in you when you are young, saying that this is how things go, then even though you may not agree with them, you may have other thoughts, you still feel like that's the right thing to do or it's supposed to be like that. So I think that's one is education and, is, you know, change mindset. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's one and then the second thing is the social pressure you know it's like well this is what everybody else doing you know if i don't do that that i'm i'm outcast i'm not in the group you know and then the third thing is that oh it's not my business i i'm i'm not asian it's not my business it's not it does not affect me that's the that's just the attitude comes out of it you know they just like uh not my circus not my monkey not my circus <laughs> i don't know yeah kind of attitude mm-hmm. yeah Well, and I'm glad you brought up the education piece. And I think that this is where we're really going to be able to make a difference with this episode today because, you know, and it's, it's crazy to me, right? That people think that everybody looks the same, right? Because basically you're making assumptions without talking to somebody, without asking them things about their background or their culture or where they come from or taking a moment to understand where that person is coming from and how they identify. You're making assumptions about somebody from the way that they look, right? And when we talk about Asia, Asia is not just China, Japanese, et cetera, et cetera. It's also Indian, right? It's the whole continent, which I think a lot of people don't realize or don't even think about, right? And so, When you say the word Asian, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think we need to get a handle on what exactly that is. And it's a continent full of amazing people from different backgrounds and cultures that we need to um, celebrate. Yeah, I think you ladies make all excellent points. And I think that having that fear and mistrust and lack of education um, has really made it possible for dis- disinformation and this disinformation warfare that we see in the United States to become mm-hmm. very normalized. And I think that just fuels more distrust, uh, discrimination, and confusion. And in our digital age of alternative facts and fake news that's pumped out and promoted on social platforms, it's very easy for controversial, radicalized voices to cut through the facts. And so QAnon's contribution to white supremacy cannot be overstated. And this online disinformation really is directly linked to acts of domestic terrorism against Asians and other model minorities and, you know, just other vulnerable communities. And I think that the pandemic has really heightened anxieties while making people more susceptible to that radicalization than ever before, just like Russian propaganda-like news and headlines becoming alarmingly for for most of us normalized and we've seen this alarmist reaction to healthcare crises in the past um you know gail of course brought up a great example um a very painful example of our japanese american um history issues and incarcerations in the united states um but as far as reacting to healthcare crises you know even in Vancouver in the earlier 2000s, there was a huge outlash um, against Asians after the SARS outbreak. So, yeah. you know, it's something that we don't seem to be necessarily learning from. And like you said, when we lack the education, there's room for this disinformation to run wild and really fuel more discrimination. 
And well, and I'm glad that you said that. And and Gail, I'll go to you in just a second because I think the responsibility lies with a number of different people. A, it's the words that we use. So a certain somebody who will not be named on this because we're not going to get political, but did call it the, the Chinese virus. And the implications from those two words and the domino effect and the, the, the effect on humanity, because that's what this is. This isn't culture versus culture versus culture versus culture. We're all humans. We're all part of the human, human race. And what that does to a, a section of our human race is disgusting and has to stop. And we have to take responsibility for that. And Naomi, your point about social media, they have a responsibility because what you are interested in, you see over and over and over again. Yep. So if you're, if you're looking at articles about, let's say, Asian hate, you're going to see everything about that and it's going to fuel the fire and they have a responsibility as well. So Gail, I'm sorry. I was very passionate about no. that point. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. And, and it, uh, you're tying it together because even when we talk about all these great points, you know, and, you know, like I live kind of in that space as you do, right? Which is the feed is reflected in what you're doing, right? But this going back to this point around education um, at the core, I mean, I have a daughter, she's about to be a senior in high school. Both of my, I, you know, both of my daughters knew from very young ages their history, right? And even in the advanced parts of history, U.S. history, with my senior now, um, it's still kind of appalling that you could do a whole unit on World War II and, and this incarceration, I'll use that word, is about this big. But if you have the right um, teacher, which she did, you hand him a book about some photos and things like that. And it's a bigger discussion. So if by handing my daughter that book to this AP class, they just even spent a few more times thumbing through this book. It's a little bit more real than the unit they have to teach to take this yeah. test or whatever it is. But, you know, 80 years later, we're still not really talking about what happened to learn from it. Because I remember another moment in time from my history, which was around um, 9-11. And I remember and I was in the Bay Area at that time walking down the street and you brought up a population of, of the Asian population walking down the street, you looked a certain way and people were yelling at you. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I turned to my husband and I said, my God, what world are we living in when we're, those labels and these things that are happening are driving this hate? And that was, and again, that was 20 years ago, just about, right? Mm -hmm. So this whole dialogue around, um, it, it should not be normalized, but we need to have these hard discussions all right. How do we carry on? Because, you know, I, I'm an optimist, as I'm sure all of you ladies are in our hearts. I think women sort of are. Maybe maybe that's a bias. I don't know. But, you know, we need to educate in our actions by having these these hard discussions because it's we we live in America. We're, you know, in one of the more free places where you should be. I know where you should be able to vocalize your opinion, but, and yet where are we? You know, I mean, look yeah. at the climate now, where are we? Yeah. Well, and the grace, right? We need to give people the grace to be able to speak their truth, whether we agree with it or not, at, that really at the end of the day doesn't matter. Right. Right. Absolutely. Sharon, did you want to jump in there? Um. I agree with Gail, 100%. You know, 
Because, like, I was born outside of the United States. I'm a neutralized citizen. And before I came to America, I thought America is like Hollywood movies. Don't get me wrong. It was just a sunshine and beauty. But it is absolutely not true. Um, I was, I don't want to name which state I was staying, I lived in, but it's like I walked out 7-Eleven. There's an older guy in his like 50, late 50 or 60, sitting in front of 7-Eleven, staring at me with hate. Mm. And I mean, like, it's it's not just, you know, it is, it's just like a puzzled me, like, what have I done to you? You know, but I I really want to say this like uh, every race, every color, it doesn't really matter where you're from, where you were born, or, you know, it's down inside. We feel the same emotion. We, you know, we eat, we, we, you know, we sleep and we laugh, and we learn, we all the same, you know, we are sad, you know, we're happy. We said when we, our family passed away, or we are happy when we graduate with, you know, degree that we want or whatever, you know, we, we are all the same inside. So I, I really feel like from education globally need to educate, celebrate human beings. That's about it. Seriously. That's it, right? Yeah. You know? Well, and I yeah. think I think part of that too is, you know, how do we how do you how do we eliminate that look that you got that one day? You know, I think education is part of that. Um, but I think it's it's gonna come from us all sort of working together to get rid of that. Because at the end of the day, it like that. I, I I'm sorry that you went through that because you know, nobody should have to go through that. And so one of the things that came up in my research for this particular episode is that in March 2020, the FBI issued a report predicting a surge in hate crimes against Asian Americans due to the pandemic. So they knew this would happen, but they didn't do anything about it. Does anybody want to comment on why they didn't do anything about it? Anybody? I think at this point, even they do something, it's very superficial. Okay. Because I feel like it's subconsciously, it's down into the core how people feel. There's nothing you can do much about it. You can't control anybody's behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if I hate you, I hate you. It's a reflection of me. You know, how I hate you is nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. So even though even FBI want to educate people or do something about it, it's not going to stop. It's just too uh, too big of an issue, <laughs> I per se. Yeah, well, it's the timing, perhaps, right? So you said March, right? Mm-hmm. And we're uh, not quite 60 days into the new administration and all the change that comes with it. So <clears throat> I'm not excusing it, by the way, but maybe it's the not put shining the light, there's many problems or challenges. Let's use that word. There's many challenges when you come into a change in power. Um, and I would say that um, that administ- the administration that's there is also picking their battles very carefully because of, to some degree, the climate that we're living in still continue today. And, and I think there's this other piece, this this human piece that 
um, just came into this discussion, which is, you know, we are all humans um, and, and, and we have to coexist if we're going to evolve the generations. And I think that's at the core, really what it is, because, you know, today we're talking about this, this topic of Asian hate, but it's really multicolored, multidimensional, you know, across sexes and pronouns and other, it's so many different things at this time that are all important discussion pieces. And it's mm-hmm. really hard to have those discussions um, when everything is so polarized, which is what we see right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I always reflect like, this is such an important topic, but like, you have to be careful even, and, you know, I'm somebody who has history, like what's going to be, what comes from it? Like, what's the impact? What can I influence? Right. And what can we influence by having this discussion, which is, it's an important discussion, which we're all very passionate about. Mm-hmm. So how do we have that discussion so that we can lead us to other places? Cause you know what the other piece here is it's an, it's about inclusion. I'm all about inclusion, you know? Yeah. And, and so that's the heart to me of like, how do we have these hard conversations to learn the history and apply yeah. that and, and keep going? Yeah. yeah. But I, go ahead, Naomi. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I really agree with Gail's sentiment about inclusion, because really in my eyes, um, I think that a lot of this um, issue was really put back on Asian Americans to solve instead of it really being, you know, something we need to solve as a community and the, the importance of allyship. And, you know, a lot of the traction I've seen come from people who are, you know, these very strong Asian American leaders like Senator Tammy Duckworth and Maisie Hirano. Um, and they, along with, you know, 35 of their colleagues in the Senate, introduced a resolution last March to condemn all forms of anti-Asian sentiment, racism, and discrimination. Um, Andrew Yang, who was a presidential candidate here in the U.S., you know, he um, had a huge Gen Z following. And, you know, when there were these attacks really happening in abundance with Asian Americans, he was saying, you know, let's wear red, white, and blue and really show that we're trying to help with the fight against COVID. And I thought, you know, that's that's, you know, a really positive message that he's trying to send, but how heartbreaking is it that it's being put back on these Asian Americans to, well, you should wear red, white, and blue, and you should do these things to, you know, address what's happening to our community. And we need to see more broad sweeping allyship that goes across political backgrounds and walks of life. And I think that's what's really important because unfortunately, to Gail's point, it's really been politicized. And, you know, um, racism has been kind of in the past, you know, it was anti-American and lately it's become more of this, well, it's taboo, but they're just being controversial. They're not, they're not necessarily racist. And so, I think that we, you know, um, outside of the Asian American community, we need to take that responsibility on ourselves and not just put it uh, back on the Asian American community, which is what I've seen from my perspective, which is kind of discouraging. But it also goes and it goes to show you the community of Asian Americans and how much they love the country. 
that they were yeah. born in and that they're living in to, to actually go that step further, you know? And if that doesn't go to show you what kind of people, right? Yeah. Asian Americans are, I don't know what else could prove to you. You know what I mean? And these are the things that we need to talk about. These are the things that we need to pay attention to, especially those who are inciting the violence and different things like that. And so because education is a big part of this, because we're going to get into solutions and different things like that, I do want to share some stats before we get any further, because I think it's important for the audience to understand what has been happening. So according to the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism, hate crimes against Asian people have risen 339% last year compared with 2020. As well as acts of individual violence, there has also been an increase in incidents of mass violence. One of them is in 2021 Atlanta shootings. Eight people were killed, six of whom were Asian women. In February this year in New York, a man was arrested for a string of attacks on seven Asian women over a two-hour period. And so I bring this up, and I, I know this is very difficult, but this is why we do these episodes, is to tackle these difficult topics. The reason why I bring that up is just to shine a little bit of light as to what has been happening. Because if you're in the audience and you haven't, you haven't realized what has been happening and you don't know what has been happening, that can put it into a little bit of context as to what we're talking about today and why it's so important that we shed light on this particular challenge and we find solutions to this and we bring people together. Okay. So I just wanted to share that just so everybody has um, a little bit of some background. And I think there's also some additional impacts, right, that are sort of creating a whole other set of societal issues that need to be addressed as well. Um, there's extreme fear, right? There's, there's people who are afraid to leave their homes, especially Asian Americans. From what I've been hearing, there are Asian Americans who are not leaving their homes because they're afraid of it. And that cannot keep happening. You know, there's also bullying at school. There's mental health issues, job loss, food insecurity, lack to help, access to health care. So at this point, I'd love for each one of you to kind of share a personal experience that you've had that can, you know, really paint a picture of what's been happening for you personally in, within this particular topic. Sharon, do you want to start? Um. Well, I, I think I'm lucky I'm not living in the U.S. during the COVID. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, I, I want to, maybe my point here may resonate with Gail. Mm, perhaps Naomi, I don't know. Um, I have family members grew up in the United States. They hardly speak any Mandarin at all. Absolutely not writing Mandarin. Um, so just example of my cousin. So I ask him, I say, how do you identify yourself? So I'm American. Sure, of course, I totally agree with him, you know, but you know, at the same time, we're blood related, you know, so like respect that he, he, he is American, you know, um, it's his home. How do you want him to feel when he is walking around and being hated? Um, second point is like, um, I spent my lifetime, not say whole life, you know, 20 years learning English so I can sit here and talk to you today. He's like, come on, people, <laughs> you know, acknowledge my some effort, even you don't like me. Effort, <laughs> as a person, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And um, I, I feel like uh, education, again, education, I, I think uh, not just American, like globally, learn the history, learn other people. It's fun and fascinating, but I'm I'm just like encourage people to do that. Uh, I love Jewish because just how smart they are. You know, I, I admire Japanese. It's just how persistent and, and diligent they are. You know, there's a beauty of each culture, each background. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to point is like a Chinese people nowadays only seeing what happened in the last hundred years. And that's how they identify Chinese. And, and Chinese culture has, like, I'm a Chinese descendant. I'm not Chinese, but I'm Chinese descendant. And we have 5,000 years of history, you know. Just read something about it. It's like we preach peace kind or kindness you know that's what we believe you you see a lot of chinese they are so quiet because they 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 have their core belief they but they don't know which which direction the wind is gonna blow of course they are quiet (laughs) so um yeah so what i'm just saying is like um be kind and be peaceful. You don't know what they go, went through or going through. Yeah. The impact, the impact of just that statement. You wonder why Asians, Chinese people are quiet. Well, there you have it, folks. You have your answer. It's because they don't know which way the wind is going to blow when they're going to open their mouth and speak to somebody. Yeah. That is a horrible, horrible way for any human being to live. And I hope that that resonates with somebody today and changes, makes an impact on a conversation that you're going to have with somebody tomorrow. Um, and so, Sharon, I appreciate you for sharing that and, and bringing that perspective because it's, it's true, you know. And, and like I said before, you know, you can't tell from somebody just by looking at them what they've been through. You know, without walking a mile in their shoes and really understanding the effort. And so if somebody has an accent or they're not speaking full English, you don't know that it took them 20 years to get to that point. Or you don't know that it took them another five years to open their mouth because they were afraid of what you would say because they don't speak the exact same English that you do or the the way that you speak. And so there's a lot of nuances. There's a lot of things that go into, you know, moving to a new country, right? Trying to learn a new language. And I think, you know, and I bring this back on every single blended episode, it's about grace, right? Totally agree. And, you know, the, the Sharon, the point you made about me, and if I could put words out there, sort of that fear, you know, to, as, as you reflect on it's, it's, uh, it's intimidating as you learn a new language and, you know, I applaud you because, um, I never went through that myself, but my ancestors did the same ones that were, you know, incarcerated by this country, right. Mm-hmm. That, um, they came, you know, through their means, um, and, and did things, but, you know, the bias at the time, the racism, whatever word you want to use was applied there because the country at that time, you know, going back to history was afraid. Um, and civil liberties were taken away and everybody lost things. Right. But what can we learn? 
when we think about walking a mile in somebody's shoes or whatever, you know, if, whether they're Asian or any color um, person or sex in this country, and it's by, you know, we should not walk around and we should not, it doesn't mean people don't, right? But we should feel like we live, we can live in a time where you can be, right? And how do you do that? It goes back to Naomi, what you said about this idea of allyship which is part of the comfort. If we can't find our allies, whether it's our neighbors, it's our friends, it's our coworkers, then inclusion anywhere doesn't happen. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, so this is a really complicated thing. I mean, I think also about my ancestors, you know, that time, the, the incarceration part of the history. Um, <clears throat> I only know some of my history because as my dad was older, I, I had a friend of the family tell me certain things about my dad that I didn't even know. My cousins sort of knew some of them. And one of those things was the story I told you, Sarah, which was my dad was a badass. He was a no-no boy, which meant he said no to two of the questions at the age of 15 with his older brother and stuff. And that ended up, that family ended up at Tule Lake, which is the ones with the guns, right? And not all the camps were like that because they were basically saying no. I'm not going to do these things you're asking us to do as citizens and, 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 you know, the whole history and you could read up on it or whatever. But the point of, of bringing that part of the story up is that, um, you know, for many, many years, I didn't know my history because my ancestors after that period of time, they all went back to Japan. They eventually came back. A lot of them, they didn't really share the stories unless asked because it's this whole, it's sort of a, they were shamed and, you know, from how they were treated. So I think, you know, in the same way that Sharon talked a little bit about maybe this fear, this apprehension, this um, how you process that history or how my ancestors process, process that history is pretty painful. Yeah. Um, and and so for my, for me and what I say about my voice, it's on me who, who you know, you turn out a certain way, right? You know how you feel. I put it on myself to say, hey, my legacy is around making sure I tell those stories as I know them to my children, to anybody who listen, because I don't want history to repeat itself. That's yeah. my sort of one Absolutely. of my things, right? Because it, we keep in this climate we're in now, that we pick your issue, but we seem to be crossing some bridges and repeating some history, whether it's on race or other topics. They don't make any sense to educated humans who want to have a conversation about why. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Why did we do that? And just, why, yeah. just through through what you're saying, the trauma and what that has done throughout the years, right? Throughout the generations. And we and and the it's not funny, haha, but the funny thing about this is that every race has it. Every race has history. Every race has trauma. And every race has generational trauma that we're all trying to figure out and get through and sort through and talk about and shine light on to be like, why? And this is what happened. And let's not repeat it because we don't want this to be repeated. Well, yeah. And these ongoing challenges, um, to your point, Sarah and Gail's, it's why it's so important to educate young people, even on the darkest moments in American history. And it's not to shame them as some people might view it, but so we can learn from the past. And like you both said, avoid repeating it. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, Gail mentioned earlier, but how many people know or remember FDR signing that executive order in 1942, enabling the incarceration of Japanese Americans, you know, who are citizens of the United States? Um, you know, many of those survivors in prison were naturalized citizens or even second and third generation Americans. And so we need to take an honest inventory of American and global history. And that unfortunately is becoming increasingly stigmatized. And it's it's frightening, um, you know, how much of this is getting kind of whitewashed. And even, you know, with 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 other things that have happened in history, uh, Holocaust deniers are becoming more normalized in today's climate. And so that again brings in the importance of this allyship and uh, allyship and facts first um history that we really need to embrace and you know the dialogues like this one about why it's so important to have this education and not to shame people but so that we can prevent these things from happening again and grow as a society are so important because right now there are so many books being taken off the shelf out of curriculums and there's a lot of talk about critical race theory for grade schoolers and critical race theory isn't even taught until you're at a college level. So um, I think a lot of, there's a lot of confusion where we really need to focus on allyship and supporting this education and telling, telling the real history of things. Well, you, you brought up a great point to the facts. What are the facts? And if I think generationally around how I learned to do research many moons ago versus how this generation, and you brought it up, Naomi, right? We're on social media as a source, not always credible. Right. How do we get to that true, truly fact-based research? Well, how do we get to those facts, right? And it's really, really difficult. Well, I think, and I think it's a little bit of both, right? I think it's about facts, but I think it's also about hearing other people and their their experiences and the impacts from that. So I think we need to have a little bit of both. But I think now, even though, Naomi, you know, talking about them taking books off shelves and different things like that, and that power over here, I think there's also a power over to the right where we have platforms like this, where it's our responsibility to, like Gail keeps talking about, using your voice, educating Providing the facts, but also providing perspectives and insights and letting other people hear those insights, perspectives, also those facts. And that's how we're going to do it is by because we have so many tools at our fingertips right now, right? We've got podcasts. You can self-publish a book. You know what I mean? Like there's all sorts of different ways that we can really elevate those things that have happened in the past, what is happening right now, and how do we fix them and get into the hearts and minds of people um, in other ways. And I think yeah. that's truly what is magical about now versus I think before, because before it was very much controlled. Well, and I think, um, I think, Sarah, you bring up a great point, you know, but going beyond podcasts and self-publishing because there are certain podcasts or books people just won't want exposure to because they're really tapped in to whatever their reality is. But being able to have these difficult discussions with one another, even, you know, when we have 
maybe a different perspective. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, being able to have those conversations and talk to people and come from a place of empathy and authenticity. Authenticity yep. and you know, not a place of anger. But I mean, in the past, I I legitimately had to explain to a colleague that I don't have Jewish space lasers uh, because just like with Asians or other minorities, that uh, this disinformation is creating more anti-Semitism and you know more racism and heightening that. I had to explain that's. That's really not a thing. And if they were, you know, I wouldn't have to wait for my husband to do the artwork. But <laughs> like all kidding aside, it's if you actually reach across the aisle and start talking to people who disagree with you. And, you know, I like to do this at the grocery store, or even was talking to the bellhop when I was at a conference recently. And I don't know how these topics just seem to organically pop up, but to really come at it from Oh, I understand your perspective. I hear you. And you're not talking down to them, but you're explaining and sharing your experience. Because when those books do come off the shelf, I mean, the problem is, and I live in a very um, regionally in an area where a lot of people are very of a mindset that, you know, history of race shouldn't be taught. So when you take those books off the shelf, you know, there are a lot of people that just won't get that exposure because their parents aren't going to be talking about it. And Mm -hmm. maybe their peers and friends are not as well, but we need to, you know, as allies and just as humans back to that element that Sharon brought up, be more comfortable tackling these conversations and Mm -hmm. coming about it from a place of compassion and authenticity, but but authenticity, but also, you know, focusing on facts. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and even if we change the heart and mind of one person with this episode, the ripple effect of that, right? Because yeah. they're they're gonna then be like share their perspectives with other people in their group. And and so there's there is a ripple effect, you know, from being able to do something like this. And I I do have hope that like that, that side can really sort of at some point outweigh the other side that are taking away those books and are taking away the facts and the the education. So hopefully, you know, things are are beginning to change. There's a couple of things that have come into play that I'm going that we're going to talk about right now. So last year, um, Biden established the White ha- White House Initiative on Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders that will improve data collection methods that have left Asian people unrepre- underrepresented in government statistics and, by extension, the resulting programs and policies. So my question to you is: Is this enough? Because I think we're kind of at the stage of this conversation where we really want to talk about solutions. And Mm -hmm. there's a variety of different solutions, right? There's ones that we can do as human beings. There's ones that the government can put into place. There's also ones that, you know, uh, community groups and activism and things like that can can play a role as well. So what do you guys think about this? I mean, um, I, I have, and maybe this is my perspective, but I've really enjoyed seeing more Asians in movies and TV shows. And I think that that has increased over the last year. Totally. You know, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. Is this, this is what Biden is sort of putting into place. Is that going to help? Are we going to see more Asians in prominent positions so that we can sort of combat some of the misinformation that's out there? And, you know, what do you think? I think, um, you know, the, um, 
I'll use the movie one, for example, way back when I was kind of in that business. The optics, um, because those of us in marketing are always thinking about the optics for one thing, right? What's the reality? But the optics of uh, an initiative like that is headed in the right direction. To answer your question, is that enough? You know, it starts a conversation, right, Sarah? At least it gets it on the radar. Um, And I'm hopeful too, again, as the optimist that I think it will get us there, but there's so much more to do it. Um, Sharon, I think you said it best, which was, you know, we've got to um, be comfortable, maybe I'll use my words, right? Be more comfortable kind of contributing, participating in whatever those things are to use our voice, to to say our mind and to be part of those things. So um, I think, you know, when we see it in the media or on movies or whatever, that's always a good sign because it means, wow, yeah. that's important enough to get it. But is there more to do? I think, you know, it's like all businesses and I would say in tech as well. We, we need the diversity of thought, you know, even beyond the race issues we're talking about here, you know, in our work, in our communities and everything, because truthfully, everybody is an individual and, and, and a lot of opinions, you know, will, are, are important to a discussion, whether it's your community, your company, whatever. Um, and so I think that I'm hopeful that we see more of that. So we're more comfortable. And again, I don't know if that's the word or we get more comfortable mm-hmm. having those discussions um, to move it along. So that's my quick answer. Anybody else on the, um, on the Biden? I I would say um, it's a good start. You know, actions always speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's great. But uh, I want to add something. It's like, it's not just how American trying to do something nice to, you know, minorities. Uh, but also at the same time, I think minorities will show, speak up and also uh, give the gesture that, you know, actions always speak louder than the words again. Mm-hmm. Um, a side note. Uh, a story of mine. I I um I I met a Chinese and she genuinely asked me why people in the world hate us so much. Mm. Why do you hate me? It's like you know we're from different countries, but I looked at him. Uh, so I looked at her and I said, "I don't hate you." You know, like you're. Your words, your behavior, your kindness speak louder than anything else, okay? If you feel people hate Chinese and because you're Chinese and people hate you, then show your kindness, you know? Like, I mean, personally, she never did anything wrong to me, you know? And she, <laughs> be frankly, she she is pretty kind to me. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is like, I want to both side, you know, minorities or ch- or even just Chinese, and uh, the rest show their kindness. You know, persistent. I think a con- consistency is the key. You know, I don't want to see the action today, so I, I look good. I-, I love Asian or I love Chinese, and then the next day is doing something else. Right. That's, we don't want that. It doesn't count. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. It ha- it has to be consistency, right? 
Yes. I mean, consistency in your actions and what you're doing. I also heard that in January, Illinois became the first state to require that Asian American history be taught in public schools, followed by New Jersey and approximately nine other states are considering the same. What do you think about this? I mean, I think that I have a really hard time with every state kind of doing different things. I think we all kind of need to be on the same page, A, when it comes to education. I mean, I don't understand how we can be on different pages about education and then expect them to go to college and university out of state with a variety of people that have a variety of different educations. And like that just doesn't make any sense to me. What I do like and appreciate is through this conversation, we've been talking about education and some of the states are stepping up, right? Even if it's nine or 11 out of the 52. I mean, I don't know how you feel, but to me, that's promising. It's hopeful. It means that there's a step in the right direction, right? Um, but my, I guess my question to you is how, how many generations is it going to take to sort of see any kind of change with something like that? Any idea? Naomi? Um, you know, as you mentioned, Sarah, things are really done state by state here in Arizona. I think we're again, this year, 50th in the nation for education, uh, for our public school district. Um, we have some of the most underpaid educational professionals in the country, and um, there's a lot at play outside of just education and what is taught. Uh-huh. Um, there, there's some law that um, is in the process of being passed right now um, that's going to go into effect next year on teaching race and ethnicity. It's it's not happening as soon as it would have because one lawmaker missed the vote, but they're basically making it harder to talk about race and ethnicity mm. um, in Arizona. As an educator, a public educator, you you know, you can get fired or I believe fined. Um, so um, I think it's great that there are some states that are setting this example. Um, and I mean, it's progress. Um, I think the frustration for me is the states where you probably need (laughs) really to have that education and exposure Mm. are the ones that, you know, have these limitations. And I think a lot of it really ties back to, you know, what, what Gail and Sharon both said about, you know, before about, you know, we have this new White House initiative and, all this talk in place, but actions speak louder than words. And I think that as our policies change as a country, that could set the tone for the states. And and one of the things, um, you know, just to kind of piggyback um, back to that part of the conversation on, you know, is that enough? I really think that there need to be more severe punishments and sentences for specifically hate crimes. Um, So I'm saying that's a hate crime and it's not just vandalism or violence, it's domestic terrorism and it's it's an act of domestic terrorism and a hate crime. And I I think if you start seeing more um, more seriousness and more consequences around these acts of hatred, then people will be less emboldened um, to really hold on to this idea of, 
you know, white, white power and white pride being a political mindset and not, not a prejudice that, you know, I, I think that would, if you make the systematic changes, it will change, you know, it has like that butterfly effect, so to speak on this society. But I think, I think you really have to see, um, a change in, in the way, you know, we treat people who commit these atrocities, um, to see it come down at a, at an educational level across the country, because the states where we need it most, you know, it's really becoming a, a talking point or a sound bite, and it's really not about the kids and the education and what's best for them. Right. That is so true. And that actually kind of brings me to the next point. Sharon and Gail, what are you hearing from the community about police? Like, how does the Asian community kind of feel about the police? I mean, originally at the begin- at the top of the conversation, you know, I mentioned that FBI stat, right? And I know in a few, for a few different races, you know, they're feeling very underwhelmed by by what the police is bringing to the table for their particular community. How do you guys feel about that? How does the Asian community, you know, feel about the police and the support that, that you're getting um, from the localized? And, and what do you want? What do you want? What do you need? What do you, like from an ally or from somebody in the police, what, what, what do we need? Well, I'm not qualified to speak about the police force, but I guess I can speak as to what I would observe is happening, you know, and I live in the Bay Area. So, um, so this is a, you know, observation more than it is fact, which is in communities where there's a higher population, of course, you know, San Francisco being one of them, the, the, the process or the powers that be are trying to reflect in their forces or San Jose or whatever the demographics of the constituency, that kind of makes sense. You know, I don't have the data, Sarah, to say that's working or it's not, you know, but it's sort of the ability to speak the different languages, the different dialects, you know, to be able to communicate because things happen when you can't clearly communicate to each other, right? So I would say those efforts underway, probably not balanced in any way. are starting to happen. And that's probably a good thing. Does that change anything? And, uh, you know, again, if my father were still alive and others, you know, he came from a generation, they didn't trust anybody because of what happened to them also. Right. So that sense of authority is not something you necessarily trust. And I know there's other populations um, that definitely don't trust the police uh, because there's other movements there. So I think, you know, as a symbol of authority, um, I'm not qualified to necessarily speak to that, but I would say that issue of trust is first and foremost uh, what you have to look at. Um, Sharon, do you have thoughts there? Because, you know, I'm not an expert, but... <laughs> I can't really input a whole hell of a lot here, okay? <laughs> I'm not living in the United States, but what I can say that I asked, I asked my family, again, they live in the Bay Area, um, and they say, like, Oh, I I don't like to get out of house just mm-hmm. because you know yeah. like there's a danger or potentially harm there. Uh, in general, they don't trust police. You know, they're fully born and raised in California, and they that's just their reaction. You know, um, 
I don't know. And the funny thing is, even within the family, they don't talk a a lot. They don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it it wasn't really just to be like, you know, what do the police need to do? It was more from a community perspective as to what's the perception and what what can we sort of do as a society? And police are just sort of one of those, right? Because they are the ones that you want to be able to trust to come to the rescue when the hate crimes and the different things that are happening. And I do know that in the Bay Area, um, those hate crimes are quite, quite, quite elevated. And um, like both of you have said, and I've heard from other individuals, you know, there's there's particular people in the Asian community, especially the elder population, that do not want to leave their house and they're scared to leave their house. And I think it's important for us to sort of talk about those feelings and those needs yeah. and those wants of the community to be like, we're not getting this. This is what we need. And this is what's going to help us make feel comfortable leaving the house, like leaving the house. Like it's one thing during the pandemic for everybody to be in their house. But now the pandemic's over and we should be able to get back to normal. And there's a certain population that doesn't feel like they can. And that's not okay. And we're talking about, oh, sorry. Oh, no, Gail, go ahead. All I was going to say was we're talking a little bit about safety, you know, in terms of what the police should represent. And another comment sort of jumped into my mind when I thought about it. I mean, when we were children, um, you know, police as a type of a role model. You know, we could sort of say that, like you look up to that. And I would say that also carries through back to something we talked about earlier, which is education teachers as a form of a role model or a mentor, whatever word you want to use. And I kind of, my kids used to joke about this, but when we live in a community where all the teachers are white with a few exceptions and things like that, your role models, please teachers or whatever, don't always reflect um, the community, mm. which is, a, you know, the ability to feel comfortable to communicate, communicate and trust. So when I, when I think about it, and I have a really, really good friend who told me horrific stories, went to Cal, she's um, an Asian American and she, she had been um, mugged twice and she's very petite. Mm. And I, you know, I only knew those stories recently. Um, and, and, you know, again, you, it's that safety piece of it, but even, you know, even the smartest people, you're not, you know, and educated, you're still a target, right. Based mm-hmm. on how you look, petite, Asian, whatever. So I, I, I guess when I think about this idea of trust and safety and, and, and how do we carry on, because this is about the problem solving piece, like where are the solutions? I think there's something to be said about, um, you know, looking around for the places where we can have dialogue and and while the different um, political institutions, states, federal government or whatever are are taking some steps in the right direction, um, you know, how you solve this gets back down to the human and our ability to communicate and use our voice as to why we're pissed or or not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Naomi, did you want to share? Oh, yeah. I was just going to jump in. Those are such great points, Gail. And I think, you know, you speak to the importance really of visibility and, um, and, you know, we've made so much progress, but we have so far to go. Uh, We have our first uh, female and um, member of East Asian descent vice president right now. Um, and as far as re- representation goes as a whole, um, I know uh, Judge 
Katanji Brown was just sworn in today. So we have a lot of positive momentum, but I like what you're saying about these role models and authority figures and, you know, being able to have people um, that you look up to and identify with who look like you and understand your shared experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I was going to kind of jump on Sarah's note about, you know, the police can only do so much. And like you, Gail, I am not an expert on the stats. I know that in my state, you know, the police resources are really stretched thin. So I really... I don't really feel like I can comment on how they're allocated, um, especially during the pandemic and as it's ongoing with the cases going up and down here still in the States. But as a society, I think we just need to start calling out violence and extremism on all sides and just make it clear that there's no place for it in American life. Mm -hmm. And while I'm not sure that everyone will agree with it with me, um, there are certain things that really bother me that, you know, you're entitled to your first amendment, right? But if you're marching on government owned, you know, state owned federal property, all of us Americans are paying to maintain that property. So I don't think that's a place for hate speech. I just don't think that should be allowed. I just don't think that should be a thing. Um, And so I do think that, you know, there's more that we can do in terms Mm -hmm. of, again, setting the bar and the example, but a lot of it comes back to allyship. And if you see something, say something. Um, Accountability. We all have a role to play in this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I think sometimes we, we forget that. Now I want to, I want to talk about uh, what we can do in the workplace. So Joanne, you of the Asian American Federation has said that she gets a lot of emails saying, my boss is asking us to come back to work, but I'm afraid to ride the subway. So she's calling on corporations to come up with a plan to protect their staff. So what do you guys, what, what do all of you sort of think? I mean, as we're thinking about getting back into the workplace, right, there's hybrid. Um, we haven't been in the office or a lot of us haven't been in the office for a couple of years. There's been some remote work and different things like that. What are some of the things that we can do as a workplace, either as a corporation or maybe the people that you work with, Um to really be able to talk about these topics and to educate and to celebrate people for who they are and and their differences in the organization and not lead with bias, not lead with assumption, right? And so so what are some of the things that that we can do in the workplace? Sharon? Workplace. Well, are we just talking about travel to the office or? or no, no, no. About we're, we're, we're talking about... Um, how we can how we can be a support system for each other with topics like this right really not better understanding each other so that we can understand what people are going through what's happening in different cultures um because i think that there is an onus right there's onus on them there's also an onus on us to be yeah. able to feel like we can talk about it and that we do have a voice and that people do want to hear about some of the things that are going on and how how they can help support us, right? What support are we looking for from maybe the organization that we work for or maybe the people that we work with? Um, I, I think like in just general speaking, I think in workplace, 
what I see is that I just want to have, you know, a, a, a even playground. You know, I see that that it's unspoken ceiling for Asians to, you know, to perform in a higher pay or, um, or even just, you know, in general, what they want in a friendlier working place. Um, I was, I would say it's just the mindset shift. If you don't want me to do this kind of things to you, don't do this kind of things to me as an individual. And that, that is it, you know, um, I think if if we always pivot each different group because you're Asian or because, you know, like just because you're different, then then you feel like your small group is getting more advantage or things like that. But overall, to the corporation or could, uh, to any place, it's not going to do any common good to that place. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to be fair, you know. I just just simply be fair, you know. I'll be kind, and that's Feel about included. it. Feel included, yeah, right? Exactly, or yeah. accepted, accepted, accepted too. Yes. I kind of like the word "accepted" better than "included." Included just means tolerant. Like I feel like it means tolerance. Acceptance mm-hmm. means love. So I almost feel like we need to use acceptance a little bit more than we do inclusion. But that's that's my <laughs> own personal opinion, and we're you gonna know, have a whole episode about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in. I'm in for that. I mean, I, I'm thinking about this question, and, I, and again, not meant to be a commercial at all. I guess I feel fortunate that my large company um, is rather open about having those hard conversations, that diversity, inclusion, whatever acronym you want to use is important, and that things like organized employee resource groups exist uh, to represent uh, a way to have these discussions, because ultimately in a, you know, company with about 110,000 employees, culture is important. Now, you know, another discussion for another day, we have our challenges as a huge European um, owned company. But I think that idea of uh, psychological safety, um, you know, to have these conversations are a function of that's something that's up to our leadership and our whatever safety we have in place in our company to make sure that that happens. So I would say that when we think about our companies and the role that the company plays in allowing us to have this, you know, types of discussion that comes from the leadership level, the way you're managed, the way you build your culture. And that should, you know, if this is an important topic, this is something that every employee has a role to play. Um, And if you don't like it, you you get you you know what you know what you can do right is that something that happens i mean i think you know covid also caused a bit of inertia and we're sort of unbalanced because as much as i like to call myself a culture champion that was when we were on campus and i would still say that's who i want to be but it's way harder in a software company where we're in this hybrid work thing and probably will be because that's going to keep us productive and and serving the best needs of our customers but it's really hard to get a handle of like what is our culture becoming in this yeah. climate of um, you know where diversity uh, of thought and you know we're talking about Asian American types of diversity, but any type 
is something that I embrace personally and it's harder to do, you mm-hmm. know, where we are. So, so yeah. I would say having that ability to have those dialogues is one factor, but I'm not sure that every company, you know, can do that. It's hard. It's really speaking hard. Speaking up, speaking up becomes even more important than ever at that point. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think, you know, to Gail's point, it's so easy to slap values on a PowerPoint or accent wall or just avoid issues altogether as organizations um, that can be labeled as politicized. But, um, you know, we as individuals, we get to decide what kind of company culture we want to bring our talent and time to and invest in every day. So I know, you know, in my roles at a director, senior manager level and middle management, you know, I can make a difference by speaking up, but ultimately, you know, I choose, you know, the company whose values resonate with mine. And that's why, you know, just like Gail said, not to, not to overhype my employer, but I came to Anaplan, not just because of the hype and prestige of a fast growing cloud company, but because the company culture and values resonated in such a powerful way, being open, authentic, inclusive, and collaborative, you know, actually observing Juneteenth. Um, having pride events uh, to support LGBTQIA members and allies, you know, a company being part of a company that, you know, actually talks about um, acceptance or inclusion, however you want to say it, and diversity and lives and works it and the leaders demonstrate that it's, it's so important. And, and to me, I think it's, it's kind of, you know, that expression, put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. So if you're supporting a company financially, um, whose policies you don't agree with, you know, you can look elsewhere. Um, That's really what I think with the workplace. And I think that's why with, you know, what we're seeing right now with the great resignation or the great reshuffle, a lot of, Zennials and millennials who make up the majority of the workforce are saying, you know what, I want to work for a company like Gales that, you know, accepts people and has these resources and capitalizes on diversity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that are going to provide the resources so that I can expand my mind and my world and, Absolutely. you know, be able to make my difference in the world, whatever that looks like and work alongside leaders you know, like you all, right? Naomi, Sharon, Gail, work alongside you and know that they can speak up if they feel uncomfortable or they can ask a question that might not be politically correct and not be lashed out. You know what I mean? Like have that safe space to be able to ask those questions. All right. So I can't believe we're at the end of this, but we do need to wrap up. And I am going to ask you all to give me one takeaway. So I like everybody who's listening because obviously this is an educational experience, um, but we want somebody to walk away from this conversation either thinking about doing something, taking action on something. Maybe it's a resource that you would like them to tap into, to read, I don't know, or listen to. Um, But something that they can walk away from thinking about or putting into action. Gail, I'm going to start with you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) For me personally, and this is, you know, something that I've been thinking a lot about lately um, this is about, for me personally, this discussion and everything we're talking about, about me thinking about my personal legacy. 
my legacy is my family history, my bloodlines and everything else. But the le- when I use that word legacy, it's also about the example I am providing to my daughters, to the generation that follows, to the, to the colleagues I mentor um, and students I mentor that, you know, as I think about what my legacy will be as a human being on this planet for a very short amount of time, how will I show the way? as a leader who wants to help people use their voice and get comfortable with that. Cause as I tell my daughters all the time, I didn't start out like this, no way in hell, but over the years of practicing what I want to preach, I'm at a place where I'm more comfortable with that. So for me, I would say, as we think about these tough issues that you bring to bear, Sarah, and thank you for inviting me to this conversation. It's really about thinking about what are those things we're going to do to keep that conversation going. If this is something, because you've already dropped, if this is not an interesting conversation, but if this is an important conversation, (laughs) how do we keep having it so we can think about what that legacy might be? Absolutely. Thank you for that. And thank you for having the courage to come on because it takes bravery to come on these these episodes and share your perspectives and authenticity. Naomi, what's one thing that everybody should leave with? Yeah, well, and thank you again, Sarah. This has been such an honor and um, especially joining Sharon and Gail and hearing their insights. Um, I think it's mine's kind of twofold. I really loved um, what Sharon kept saying about kindness. And, you know, and we've talked a lot about the human element. And I think right now uh, with COVID happening and all these different disruptions, it's really important for us to connect on a human level. And, you know, like Gail said, that that can be hard to, harder to do um, across Zoom or Teams, um, but to really um, be able to act with kindness and, you know, get, get, um, to talk to people, like you said, Sarah, something may seem politically incorrect, but they may just, you know, not really have an understanding. So, mm-hmm. you know, welcome people to the discussion and, you know, be open to having that discussion. And for me as an ally, you know, I'm always working on trying to be a better ally. And one of the things that I've been doing, um, especially with everything that happened. I mean, there's been so much with Asian hate and Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I find that we're all really limited to the the content we consume. And I listen to a lot of supply chain podcasts and a lot of other things. And I watch a lot of TV, but a lot of it's very mainstream and homogenized. And so what I've been doing is getting back to my roots because I was a double major in creative writing and underrepresented American lit, specifically African-American. But I've been trying to get back into reading literature that um, helps me better understand the Asian American experience and the African American experience. And um, I just recently read The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. It was amazing. And the novel, um, I mean, if, if you want to read it, you can, but it really gives you a good perspective on, you know, all of these so-called positive trait perspectives people have of Asian Americans that that has put so much pressure on them as a model minority for so many years. I mean, 
you want to talk about discrimination, you know, just the difference in expectations and kind of this box um, Asian Americans are supposed to fit into and just, you know, kind of hearing some of that. Right now I'm reading uh, Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. Um, So I'm, which is, she's a very amazing um, African-American author. So I'm trying to make sure that I can be a better ally because I'm never going to be able to relate a hundred percent because, you know, I may be part of a minority, but I do have, you know, a certain amount of privilege. I'm white, but if I'm consuming more content and getting to know the experience of other Americans of Asian and African descent, I feel like, um, you know, I'm able to give them the respect that they deserve and better understand and articulate what they're going through uh, when people want to have these conversations. That is so inspiring. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about what you can do and we're talking about what you can put into practice and maybe start today to have that acceptance, that empathy, that love, that understanding. And I think, you know, just hearing that that's what you're doing. I mean, you're going to impact somebody just from, you know, talking about and sharing those resources. So I want to thank you, Naomi, as well, because, you know, this was not an easy episode to be a part of. And you have shared very authentically and openly. And um, thanks for being brave and coming on this episode with us today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. All right, Sharon, last but not least, what is everybody walking away with this co- from this conversation with? Uh, well, first of all, I just feel so happy beyond words to know you all ladies here. You know, this is a beautiful episode. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I as me as an individual, I will continuously promote multiculture. I mean, America is a perfect place um it's it's hot, hot, i mean it, anywhere i go but but what i'm saying is like i want to spread an idea is that when two things phone and a pencil put it together it's always it's always two things okay but if you put the salt and water together they melt it together they 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 mix it together so what i'm saying like i don't want a human being side by side as two individual completely like i don't like you i don't like you neither kind of attitude that that atmosphere or that that energy is is negative and going down i want everybody to be able to celebrate their backgrounds and be able to talk about things that, you know, uh, again, to be be kind to each other and meld it together. You know, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's how to put it. It's like, I, I want to celebrate people are different. They have different backgrounds and ideas. At the same time, they are American, you know, like, I want to be able to be in the environment when I'm walking there and talk to people in English or, you know, in, in a way. I just want to be in the place that I don't want to feel that I'm different. Yeah. You know, I want to be accepted mm-hmm. and 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 be comfortable, you know, um, feel, forget that I am not born in America. <laughs> 
You know, I I I I enjoy some of the gathering because just because I feel like I'm part of them. That's yeah. it. You want to see love. Yeah. You want to see love in people's eyes and not the hate. Yes. And that that is a powerful statement in itself because we started com- talking in this conversation about seeing hate in somebody's eyes and we're ending this conversation talking about how we want to see love in people's eyes over the hate. And so, Sharon, to you, thank you for having the courage to come on today and for sharing your perspectives. And I think each of you are going to, you know, change somebody's heart and mind just by coming on this episode and that's what truly touches me every single episode so thank you so much to naomi sharon and gail for joining me today you know this is a huge subject i mean far too much to tackle in one show but like all of these dei conversations you have to start somewhere dr dj ida of the national asian american pacific islander mental health association has said this country is going through a major crisis on a global level and it provides a breeding ground for racism for hatred and oppression of all sorts. And I couldn't agree more. So we have to talk about it. And the time is now. Because ultimately, regardless of what policies or educational changes are slowly put into place, combating hate comes down to individuals taking action. And we all need to show the world that there's no place for that hate. So don't forget that you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have anything that you'd like to add about what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 20 of Blended, when we'll be diving into more thought-provoking issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality, and you won't want to miss it, and I will see you then. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining me today.